Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Killer Astrology. I'm your host, Laura, and I don't know about you, but this week has been a hell of a week for me. On Tuesday, we had Jupiter conjunct Pluto in 22 degrees Capricorn, which was exactly on the midpoint of my Neptune and my Sun. So for me, this brought up themes of illusion in my life, figuring out what's real and what's not, and how to deal with the discomfort around not knowing. That's something that's been with me my whole life that I still haven't quite resolved. And like me, you might be dealing with an old issue that needs attention as well. That's because Jupiter, the planet of truth, and Pluto, the planet that rules gross life issues that you just don't want to deal with, were exactly conjunct on Tuesday, November 12th. Because this was the third Jupiter-Pluto conjunction of the year, and that conjunction won't happen again for another 12 years, now is your final chance to dredge out those old issues and resolve them. You were probably first pushed to do this around April 4th, which was the first time that Jupiter and Pluto met this year. They met again on June 30th due to some retrograde action, and then one final time this past week just to put the icing on the cake of 2020. As I mentioned before, this conjunction can bring old issues to light, not just so you feel pain, but so you can grow from them. But this also may increase fear or other emotions that you'd probably rather not feel. If you listened to my episode last week, you know that I moved this last weekend. Moving is a very Plutonian process, especially if you've lived somewhere for a long time. You pick up furniture that's been sitting in the same spot for months or years or even decades, and underneath it you find dust and dog hair and a couple of pieces of popcorn, and you start wondering why you didn't even realize that you're a pig who enjoys living in your own filth. Now when I say you, of course I mean me, but I'm hoping there are at least a couple of people who can relate Anyway, the point is that you can live a life that looks clean and shiny on the surface, but if you don't clean under the furniture from time to time, the mess will come back to engulf you one way or another. So this Jupiter-Pluto conjunction is a way to avoid a dismal future that explodes dirt all over you. If you're really detached from the themes in your life that Pluto wants you to pay attention to, then you're probably going to be reluctant to deal with them because of fear. What'll happen if you look deeper at that problem you've been avoiding? Will you find it's worse than you even thought? Pluto says, maybe. But Jupiter says, it's time to find out once and for all so you can move the fuck on and bring yourself better luck in the process. If you haven't confronted your filth yet, don't worry, (laughs) you still have a chance. Because today, November 15th, 2020, we had a new moon in Scorpio at 23 degrees. This is one degree past where the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction just took place in Capricorn. Jupiter is now at 23 degrees Capricorn, which means that the new moon was exactly sextile the planet of growth and luck. This is a positive aspect that will aid you if you give it some attention. So if you were confronted with a harsh reality this week, You now have the chance to wipe the slate clean and turn the situation around. That's what new moons are for. What can you manifest to replace that difficult theme in your life? This is your opportunity to transform. Embrace it. If you set a goal during this new moon, you'll have some help from Mars, which turned direct this week. 
This is a time of forward motion that's been largely inaccessible to us for the past two months because Mars was retrograde. But now it's direct, and we're soon going to be able to use it to our advantage to move past the staleness of this year and into something new. Speaking of forward motion, let's move this episode forward into our topic for the day. In this episode, we're talking about Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo, the Ken and Barbie killers, named for their good looks that fooled people into ignorance about their nauseating crimes. I decided to focus on these killers because they came up in last week's episode on Luca Magnata. Believe it or not, I'd actually never heard of them, maybe because they're from Canada and there's a bit of separation there. So I just learned about their crimes for the purpose of this episode, and about 20 minutes into my research, honestly, I was regretting it. In season one, I mentioned that Leonard Frazier was really the only killer who seriously creeped me out, but this couple might actually be worse. I think it's because there's two of them and they played off each other, and honestly because one is a woman, and as a woman, I just, I can't believe that she did this. It just really skeeves me out. So this is a really brutal story, and I'm going to share some details, so please listen to this episode at your own risk. Carla Homolka was born on May 4, 1970, at 12.20 a.m. in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. She has a Taurus sun, an Aries moon, and Capricorn rising. This particular combination of energies, two earth signs in Capricorn and Taurus, and one fire sign, Aries, gives her a very strong disposition. Her Capricorn ascendant creates a sternness about her and makes her a natural authority figure. Her Aries moon makes her a self-assured go-getter, and her Taurus sun implores her to seek stability. Her sun in her chart is conjunct Saturn, her chart ruler, within a very tight orb of one degrees, and it's in her fourth house of family. Now, Saturn represents responsibility, the sun represents the self, so when you put the two together, you have someone who's taking on a lot of responsibility in one area or another. In this case, that area is family, because this falls in her fourth house. We can certainly deduce that this is true, given what we know about Carla's early life. Carla is the oldest of three siblings born to her parents, Dorothy Seeger and Carl Homolka. Being the oldest sibling, with a Capricorn ascendant no less, she likely held a firm place as the leader among her sisters. Her parents often fought when her dad was drunk, and he was probably an angry drunk, given that Carla's IC, the lower angle in the chart that can represent the father, is in Aries, an energetic and sometimes angry sign. Although Carla's mom probably wasn't warm and cuddly, which we can tell because Carla's moon is in Aries, Carla may have seen her as somewhat of a peacekeeper, given that her midheaven, the angle that typically represents the mother, is in Libra. Nevertheless, Carla had a role to play in this dynamic, and that role was of responsible pseudo-adult, She and her siblings found solace in each other's company. As we'll learn later, though, the bonds that were formed between those sisters, strong as they may have been, didn't make them immune to Carla's brutality. After all, as the authority in the family, she may have felt like she needed the final say in all decisions, even if those decisions caused harm. As a kid, Carla was generally pretty well-liked. With her Aries moon in the third house of information sharing and friendship building, she was pretty comfortable being social. 
She was also very adept at learning. She was a smart kid and had a big love for animals, or at least appeared to. While she wound up working with animals as an adult, there actually is an account of her throwing a friend's hamster out a window as a kid. If I didn't know the rest of her story, I'd say maybe this was just a fluke. But as we move forward, I think you'll agree that this was just a taste of the violent potential she had within her. Even with the hamster incident potentially tarnishing her reputation, Carla had many friends growing up and a good number of boyfriends when she got to high school. She was generally a carefree teenager who liked to have a good time, sometimes using drugs with her teenage boyfriend. But she also had a job. When she was 17 and nearing the end of high school, Carla worked at a pet store and was passionate enough about her job that she went to a pet conference in Toronto, which is where she met Paul Bernardo. Paul Bernardo was born on August 27, 1964, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, at 8.31 in the morning. He has a 12th house Virgo stellium that's pretty intense and includes the sun in three degrees, Uranus, Pluto, and Mercury retrograde, and he also has a Virgo ascendant. So this is a lot of mutable energy, a lot of Virgo energy, and a lot of it's in the 12th house of secrets. This is a chart that I look at and I immediately think, yes, this checks out. This guy has some serious difficulties and the potential to do terrible things. He was the youngest of three children born to his parents, Kenneth and Marilyn Bernardo, but Kenneth was actually not his father, which he would find out later. Starting when Paul was just six years old, he and his siblings were left alone when his parents went out of town. Although this may make it seem like his parents weren't invested in him, his success was actually very important to them. They raised a hard-working young man who got his first job at the age of 12. They expected him to achieve positive results from all of his endeavors, work or school, and as a result, he often felt like his best wasn't good enough for them, even though he was a very good student and a member of the Boy Scouts where he won an award for his success in the group. This issue of not meeting the parents' expectations aligns pretty well with Paul's Virgo stellium. Virgo is very perfectionistic, and sometimes that's innate, and sometimes it comes from the environment. With a Virgo stellium in the 12th house coupled with a Virgo ascendant, although he portrayed himself as having everything in order, the reality of achieving perfect order felt elusive to him most likely. And when something feels intangible, but we want it really bad, we try and take control as much as we possibly can. We try to possess it. As a Boy Scout, Paul learned survival skills like starting fires, an activity that he and his friends practiced a little too much outside the troop. When he was 15 years old, he started dating a girl he knew from school, over whom he was very protective. Around the time he started dating this first girlfriend, Paul learned that he was the product of his mother's affair, which, of course, upset him. I was curious about what was happening in his astrology at the time he found out that his father was not his father. So I looked at his transits for the positions of Jupiter, the planet of truth, and the sun, one of the most common planetary representatives for the father. His mother told him the truth about his origins sometime in June of 1980, So I looked at June of 1980, and on June 11th, Jupiter was exactly conjunct Paul's son in three degrees Virgo in the 12th house. This is a transit that brings truth to the secrets of the self. Truth, Jupiter, self, sun, secrets, 12th house. 
This aspect was actually also in an exact semi-square with Mercury, the planet of communication, and Pluto, the planet of hidden traumas, which meant that having the truth communicated to him so plainly would be challenging. It would cut to the core. And that's what it did. When Paul found out the truth about who he was, he began calling his mother derogatory names, and she called him those names right back. It was an angry exchange that was pretty similar to what he grew up with because his mom was generally pretty verbally abusive. A few months later, when Paul turned 16, he and his first girlfriend broke up. In retaliation, he set everything she had given him on fire. This is completely unsurprising when we take into account Paul's astrology. He has Mars and Venus exactly conjunct each other in 17 degrees Cancer. Mars and Venus in Cancer, the self-preserving sign of the crab, makes him protective of those he loves, overprotective, a little bit domineering, but Mars makes his protection fiery rather than warm. If you reject him, he doesn't just retreat into his shell, he uses fire to protect himself. This conjunction of Mars and Venus also says a lot about how he has his romantic relationships or his sexual relationships. He goes into them full force and pretty furiously. In the fall of 1983, Paul was enrolled at the University of Toronto, where he would later graduate with an accounting degree, which is a very Virgo career, I think, especially because he has his midheaven in Gemini. While in school, he dated many women who kept breaking up with him due to his unusual and controlling sexual preferences. Who knows if any of these sexual preferences actually came from his father, who during this time was found out to be a peeping Tom, which is something that Paul did when he was growing up. In 1987, Paul was a 23-year-old college graduate with a prestigious job at the accounting firm Price Waterhouse, and Carla was a 17-year-old high school student. The two met in a hotel restaurant in Scarborough, where Carla was staying for a conference. The date was October 17th, and on this day, Venus and Pluto came together in the sky, combining the forces of love with powerful forces of death. That same night, they went back to Carla's hotel room and spent the night together. It could be that the exact meeting of Venus and Pluto happened as they were consummating their relationship, thus beginning a twisted and terrifying connection. As a partner, Paul was very controlling, and he made sure to assert his dominance over Carla in any way he could. In March of 1988, about six months into their relationship, one of Carla's friends found a list in her bedroom of things she wanted to keep in mind to ensure that her relationship went smoothly. It included a diet routine, a hygiene routine, and statements like, Remember you're stupid, and never let anyone know our relationship is anything less than perfect. It's unclear at that stage in the relationship whether Carla knew that her boyfriend's abusive behaviors weren't isolated to their bedroom or to their relationship, but it really couldn't have been long before she found out. For a four-year period starting in the spring of 1987, Scarborough, Ontario became a dangerous place for young women to be out at night. In the early hours of the morning on May 4, 1987, a woman got off a city bus around 1 a.m. only to be attacked and raped by a man who would go on to rape over a dozen more women in a similar manner, 
ambushing them on the streets, or even breaking into their homes late at night and forcing them into sexual acts. Sometimes he did this armed with a knife. It wasn't until May of 1990 that police had gathered enough information about the rapist to draw up a composite sketch, which was released in the newspapers. The sketch looked so similar to Paul Bernardo that even his friends were calling the police to put in tips. Police, of course, followed the leads and they interviewed Paul, gathering DNA samples from him after the conversation. But the investigation was slow moving. This was the early 1990s, and DNA testing wasn't what it is now. So that sample sat on a shelf for years before it was tested and tied to the crimes that Paul committed. In those two years, he managed not only to rape a number of other unsuspecting women, but to commit brutal acts of murder with Carla, who was an active participant in those crimes, even those against her family. I should note for astrological purposes that the series of rapes started with that first woman on May 4th, 1987 at 1 a.m. when Venus, the planet of attraction, and Jupiter, which expands everything it touches, were conjunct Paul's impulsive Aries moon, pushing him to act in an extreme way to meet his sexual desires. And once he'd done that, he was gonna do it again. Just about a year after Carla and Paul started dating, he became infatuated with Carla's sister, Tammy. Tammy was only 12 when the couple met in 1987, and by the time she was 13, Paul found himself attracted to her. He was obsessed with the fact that she was a virgin, which, by the way, is not a coincidence because Virgo, his sun sign and the home of his stellium, is the sign of the virgin. In 1988, he talked to her and demanded that she stay a virgin. About a year and a half later, in July of 1990, Paul encouraged his girlfriend to steal sleeping pills from her job at a vet office, and he used these pills to drug Tammy and rape her. And that was only the first time. The night before Christmas Eve in 1990, so about five, six months later, The sun and Mercury met in the sky at 2 degrees Capricorn, which is the same degree as Carla's ascendant line. The sun represents the self, and when the sun crosses the ascendant, it's kind of like an astrological birthday. And Mercury represents siblings. With this conjunction in Capricorn, in a chart ruled by Saturn, both planets were acting out themes of authority. Mercury also happens to be Paul's chart ruler because he has a Virgo ascendant. So we could see this as the meeting of Carla's identity, the merging of Carla's identity, with the identity of her partner. And this was a monumental meeting, an identity-transforming meeting. The first house, the ascendant, is all about your identity. And when you have transits to the first house, your identity shifts based on the energies that are coming along. At the time of this life-changing conjunction, Paul, Carla, and Tammy were drinking in Carla's parents' basement. Carla and Paul had lived with them at the time, and again, Carla had stolen drugs from her work to use on her sister. She called it a Christmas present for Paul. With her parents asleep upstairs, Carla put sleeping pills in Tammy's drinks and held a rag covered with halothane against her sister's mouth to knock her unconscious. Then, she and Paul raped her together and videotaped the incident. 
What Paul and Carla hadn't expected was that Tammy would actually overdose on the medications they gave her. By Christmas Eve morning, she was dead, and her death was ruled an accident. Three days later, at Tammy's funeral, Paul was seen stroking her hair while visiting her open casket. You'd think that killing your own sister would force you to take a step back and really reconsider your life path. But Carla kept going down a road of destruction with Paul. Maybe because she already knew she was in too deep to stop, and maybe because she was intrigued. The single act of killing her sister changed her identity forever. There was really no turning back. There was only a choice about which direction to go from there. Now, there's been a lot of controversy among onlookers about Carla's participation in these crimes, the ones we've heard about and the ones we haven't yet heard about. So the question is, was she coerced against her will into these acts by her partner? Was she just complicit in kind of an apathetic way? Or did she actively engage in the deplorable proceedings as a willing and interested party? Carla's was the first chart I reviewed for this story. And at first glance, it really could have been anybody's chart. While there are definitely some concerning elements, I didn't immediately look at this chart and say, this person is a killer. I don't think she was destined for this kind of lifestyle based on her astrology. Or in other words, I don't think she ever would have turned to torturing and killing young women on her own. I think she needed someone else to push her into that life. And Paul was the perfect influence. When I looked at Paul's chart, my immediate thought was, yeah, of course. I think I actually said that out loud now that I think of it. His chart just very clearly is in line with the rest of our cohort of disturbed abusers and killers. The exact aspects, the 12th and 8th house placements, the abundance of mutable energy, natal Saturn in retrograde, and as I've mentioned before, the thing that I'm so intrigued by, a late degree Sagittarius Lilith. It all fits. So do I think that Carla was absolutely coerced into raping and killing young women? No. Carla could think for herself. She had a Capricorn ascendant, which emitted an air of steady confidence, an Aries moon, which, while impulsive, fosters a very strong internal spirit, and a Taurus sun, which can be pretty immovable under the right circumstances. So while I don't think she would have found herself in this place without Paul, I do think that there was something about him and the acts they were doing together that tapped into her internal motivation, that made her want to go along with this for herself, not just for him. And I think the clues as to what motivated her are in her eighth house. The eighth house is the area of our charts that represents the nature of our joint ventures, how we merge with others both physically and spiritually, and this includes sex. The first entity in Carla's eighth house is actually Lilith, which I've talked about before as the entity that describes our rebellion. For women especially, Lilith is also a source of personal power. How we find our personal power by showing up in ways that might shock others or might be taboo. For Carla, with Lilith in her eighth house, sex was a vehicle for feeling powerful. The next object in her 8th house is the south node, the point that describes situations she's familiar with energetically, that she could get stuck in if she doesn't push herself to move in the opposite direction. Her south node is in Virgo in the 8th house, 
And being with someone with such intense Virgo energy, it was really hard for her to leave it behind because she had to move in the opposite direction towards Pisces, which was an energy that Paul just didn't jive with. The last planet in Carla's eighth house is Pluto, which is very comfortable in the eighth house since it mirrors those themes. Pluto here made it easier for her to come in contact with those dark sexual energies and those death energies. She had a strong enough disposition to handle them. One month after Tammy's death, just one month, Paul picked up a young hitchhiker and brought her back to Carla's parents' house, where he and Carla had been living for the past few months. He raped the girl in his girlfriend's childhood bedroom, then drove her to a side street and left her there to find her way home. A month after that, he and Carla moved into their own house in Port Dalhousie, just a town away from her parents. Port Dalhousie is right on Lake Ontario. It actually looks pretty beautiful. But the events that transpired there were horrific. On June 7, 1991, Carla lured a 15-year-old girl to their home, where she gave her sleeping pills, just like she did to her sister, and the couple raped her and again videotaped it. Unlike Tammy, this young woman survived the attack, and there were multiple others who survived the same trap as well. But two of their upcoming victims did not. On June 15, 1991, Paul snuck up behind a young woman, Leslie Mahaffey, and snatched her, taking her into his car and driving her home, calling it a surprise for Carla. Together, the two tortured and strangled Leslie to death with an electrical cord. Fourteen days later, canoers came across the teenager's remains in a pile of concrete blocks in a nearby lake. That same day, the same day that Leslie's remains were found, what do you think Carla and Paul were doing? They were at church getting married. I can't, can you handle that? Because I can't handle that. As a married couple, Carla and Paul continued to torture innocent and unsuspecting teenagers, inviting them over to their house and following the same routine. But now, they had their first kidnapping and killing behind them, and they weren't about to stop. On April 16, 1992, Paul and Carla worked together to kidnap another young girl, Kristen French. They held her for three days doing unspeakable things, including showing her the video of another woman's rape. At the end of the 72-hour period, they killed Kristen and buried her in a dumpster in Burlington, Ontario, which is about 30 miles away from their home. Her body was found 11 days later on April 30th, 1992. Police recognized a connection between Kristen French's murder and the murder of Leslie Mahaffey, which happened less than a year prior. They kicked their investigation into high gear using eyewitnesses for help. On the day that Kristen was abducted, witnesses saw her get into a car with two other people who were parked in a church parking lot. Witnesses thought the car was a beige Camaro, but it was actually a gold Nissan. So this slowed the investigation down, but it did keep the public actively engaged in the case. But in addition to imploring people to look out for the killer, police had other, older evidence that was starting to resurface. Remember that DNA sample that Paul provided the police back in 1990? Well, two years later, it was finally processed. 
On December 27, 1992, exactly two years after Tammy Homoka's funeral, Paul beat Carla with a flashlight so bad that he gave her two black eyes and caused her to take a trip to the emergency room. She went to stay with her parents for a while after the incident, and Paul got arrested, but he was released back home on his own recognizance. But the next month, on February 1st, 1993, that DNA evidence came back, and it proved that Paul was the Scarborough rapist. Interestingly, Paul's father was charged with sex crimes of his own just one week after the DNA evidence was released. If I were a conspiracy theorist, I'd be wondering whether Paul and his dad ever carried out any of these crimes together. As an astrologer, I'm wondering what the similarities are in their charts, but that's a topic for a different time. On the day that the DNA evidence came through and pointed back to Paul, there were some really interesting things happening in the sky. The most striking to me was an exact conjunction between Mercury and Saturn at 19 degrees Aquarius. This was the coming together of information and karma. Mercury carried information about Paul's actions, being the messenger, and Saturn, the ruler of karma, started to dole out his karma. This conjunction was also Quincunx Paul's natal Mars-Venus conjunction, which we know influenced his violent sexual tendencies. The quincunx is at a two-degree orb, which is as wide as I'll go for that aspect, but it's still very much present. It caused tension around Paul's typical patterns, and something was going to change. He just didn't know it yet. On February 9th, Carla was questioned about hers and Paul's involvement in the rapes and murders of innocent young victims, and she confessed. She told police everything, or almost everything, twisting the story a bit in her favor, telling police that she was forced to carry out her husband's wishes, forced to torture those girls, including her sister. She exchanged this information for a reduced sentence once the case went to court, and agreed to testify against Paul during his trial. The court agreed to this arrangement, and Carla was sentenced to two 12-year sentences for manslaughter, but she served them concurrently. Paul's trial began on May 18, 1995, and lasted for four months. At the time the trial began, Carla's sentence was already solidified, and the court was surprised when they saw her as a willing participant on the tapes that were presented as evidence. She couldn't be tried again, so her sentence remained, and Paul was thankfully sentenced to life in prison with eligibility for parole 25 years into his sentence. That 25-year mark actually just passed, and you'll be very happy to hear that he was denied his parole after a very brief appeal. Carla, on the other hand, is out of prison. She's changed her name, and she's living in Montreal, taking care of the three children that she's had since she was released. And with that, this story is over. Thank you for listening to another episode of Killer Astrology please don't forget to leave a five-star rating before you go. I'll be back next week with a special guest. I'm really excited for that new episode. Until then, remember, people may lie, but the stars never do. If you enjoyed this episode, please send a link to your friends and follow on social media. The information is in the episode description. 
You can see the charts for these killers in the blog at killerastrologypodcast.com, where you can also book a reading with me right on the website by going to killerastrologypodcast.com slash services.